0: episode of Stories of Strange Women. We are your hosts. I'm Tanya Hurley. And I am her twin, Tracy Hurley-Martin. And before our first guest joins us, uh, Elise Carter, aka The Lady I, we just want to chat a little bit about the strange goings-on in our lives and why we're doing this show. So welcome, first and foremost. We are here to promote strange women and their stories in our lives we've met many like-minded women and we've always wanted to share their stories in some way because they're fascinating and these women are trailblazers and pioneers in their fields and it takes a tremendous amount of courage to do what they do create their own path to be authentically strange and so we wanted to create a podcast discussing how they accomplish what they've accomplished And we, you know, we both read and were inspired by the title of J. Y. F. Cook's 1906 anthology, "Stories of Strange Women," and um, you know, it's basically an anthology of eight short stories. I think there were stories featuring weird women. But They weren't so weird. They weren't really weird women. They were in weird situations. I think it was. some found it disappointing because they weren't weird women. Um, we're hoping if, to highlight the weird women in our lives. <laughs> we have plenty. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, to reach the teenager in their room who feels weird and isolated, um, all the way to the lady in the retirement home who feels she's never been understood or appreciated. Hopefully, this podcast will provide. A community. We we've always fantasized about starting a, a strange women commune, you know, where we could all live together and create and support each other. So hopefully, this will this will act as such. Speaking yeah. of a dream come true, creating a commune, we pass quite frequently a beautiful, beautiful building in Bushwick. I think it is. Um, I'm very bad with naming neighborhoods you'll learn that even here. though i've lived listen here to the podcast yeah <laughs> you will <laughs> um the graham home for old ladies it's really cool it's so beautiful yeah. and the plaque in front of it says a refuge for indigent gentlewomen unfitted to accept willingly the public asylum provided by the state which i think is the perfect mission statement and That's it's up. yeah, it's definitely us. And it it was from 19, eighteen the eighteen fifties, I think. And it's I don't know what it. I think it's condos now or something. But it's something that I've always every I time i have the plaque still there, and it's a fantasy of ours. Start yeah. Something like that. Yeah, and and you know, and it was serendipitous when we were driving by it, and our car stopped, and we were talking about doing this podcast, and you know, both of us we weren't even realizing that we were this is a in way front for us it. to do that yeah. to create that kind of community hopefully absolutely so speaking of gentle women uh there's this new magazine slash more of a book i think slash book hybrid out there called the gentle woman and it has sophia coppola on the cover have you seen it i haven't no. i just bought it at barnes and noble it's pretty expensive it's like 16 dollars Wow. Yeah, but it's well worth it because they feature women um, who take the unconventional path. Uh, music supervisors, mm. stylists. They feature uh, some government, some women in government. They have a big feature on Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who is the star of Fleabag. Oh, I love her. <laughs> she's great. I love that show. Yeah, I do too. And she's doing. They're, she's doing the new Star Wars, but she recently signed on to do a second season of Fleabag, oh, which gives us all reason to that live, all you Fleabag fans. Yeah, well, she said she wasn't going to come back unless she had something to say, which is the mark of a true artist. Well, what impresses me so much about her is that I heard that she was doing some TV in the UK, and her boyfriend was doing a play with a director whose name is escaping me right now, but it, she, it was a director that... Phoebe really really wanted to work with and she said you know I you know I will do anything for you just if you could keep me in mind for your next project and so she did she auditioned for her and eventually got to work with her and they found that the script or the director didn't really like the script she thought it was a bad script and she wanted to rewrite it, and because she wanted to rewrite it, the producers fired her. So <laughs> Phoebe left too. She said, "I'm not. Well, I'm not going to do the play either." Mm-hmm. And so I, I the, her loyalty. I yeah. mean, she, she's young in her career, yeah. and she she fought to to. She uh, knows what she wants. Yeah, she, she wanted to work with this director, and so she quit. I and, love women that stick to their stick to their guns like that. Yeah. I thought that was so. I was so impressed by that. Yeah, I'm really excited to see what she does too in the future. I mean, she's just starting. She's going to have a long, stellar career. There's a lot to say. Yeah, she has. She has lady balls. Yeah, she does have lady balls. Speaking of lady balls, we just went to see uh, fairly recently the play Into the Fire, the Joan of Arc story, Strange Strange Woman, Joe Lampert. Joey quality Lampert. Right. She is not of this world. <laughs> no, she isn't. She She's has a very visceral presence on stage. She's a DJ in New York City, actually. And she really wanted to be she really wanted to be in the uh, show in the public theater. And she would walk past and kind of fantasize about it and say, How can I get in there? Meaning, you know, I'll wash dishes, I'll do anything and like Phoebe. Yeah. And so she auditioned for David Byrne. Um, he Alex loved, Timpera. Right. And they loved her. And she is the star of the show. And I can't... She had me believing she was Joan of Arc. I and can't imagine anyone else pulling that off. No, because the show was very small in how it was executed. Obviously, it's at the public theater, but... And, and I wasn't as blown away by the show, but her... Her performance, we are going to be seeing a lot from her. I hope she's a, well. We are, yeah. I mean, there's no doubt about it. She is a force. Yeah, and she she doesn't fit into any conventional kind of mold at yeah, all. I don't so know what she's going to be. That's doing... why I'm saying, you know, hopefully something can be created for her. for her. her.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: it's going to have to be because she she should be on on the big screen or on the small screen. She's incredible, so look out for her, Joe Lampert, a fellow strange woman. Yeah, hopefully look out for her on this podcast. Oh yeah, we'd love to. we'd love to speak to her. Um, and speaking of strange, uh, we have our first guest, Elise Carter, also known as the Lady Eye, who is one of the fewer than three dozen living female sword swallowers, and she's worked with everyone from Cirque du Soleil to Rob Zombie. And she's been called one of the masters of modern Sideshow by Sideshow World. She is the uh, sweetheart of the Sideshow. She certainly is. She is. And she talks to us from everything from uh, her bulimia and how it propelled her to be a sword swallower to her. She adopted the persona of the Lady Eye and what that took to create and how it got her over her crippling stage fright. She was paralyzed by stage fright. Yeah, and we also talked to her about uh, Feud because she studied the show Feud on FX uh, because she studied film in college and we also studied melodrama and, and how that, that kind of... Uh, her studying the film sort of uh, helped her build the persona. Informed. I, I I do like that show a lot. Have you seen it? I have not seen it yet. Okay, I, I three episodes in, I think, mm-hmm. and the interaction between... Betty Davis and Joan Crawford is amazing and how they how they were pitted against each other in this almost abusive way. It's very um it's hard to watch at times. And I do feel like that's still going on today in this world. Just like, oh, yeah. like they they were pitted against each other for the sake of a performance to get what they needed on screen. And because it was compelling for people to watch. And why do women want to watch two women hate each other and you know it's it's where it goes into all the gossip columns and how people really love to read about women and how they hate each other and their failures and um, it's the patriarchal world yeah the construct right like pit bulls in a in a, in a pen mm-hmm. um so so that's another reason why we really wanted to start this podcast is so uh to give to, to so women can really support each other in a positive way Please sign up for our mailing list at www.storiesofstrangewomen.com. And so you can find out about upcoming guests and what's going on with the podcast. And also submit your own strange stories, which we are very eager to read. We want this to be a real back and forth community. So please, um, please take part. And uh, please like our Facebook page, Stories of Strange Women. And also follow us on Instagram. So welcome and we hope you enjoy this interview with The Lady I. So, could you, can you give us just a background of how you got into being a... You became a sword swallower first, I right? became a
1: fire eater first. Oh, oh you did? Yes. Because fire eating is actually much easier to learn, um, oddly enough. I had never had any intention of being a performer, like, ever I actually, through most of my teens and beyond, had stage fright. I didn't earlier in my teens, and then I took an acting class, and for some reason that like triggered stage fright. <laughs> and like between the time I was like fifteen and the time I was thirty-two, I was never on a stage. Like I would have a panic attack at a wedding toast. Um, I would do it, but I didn't like it. So. Uh, but what I didn't want to be was a filmmaker. I, I went to school. My bachelor's degree is in American studies with a concentration in film history. And I've actually gone back to that recently. I've been writing about Joan Crawford. And, oh, yeah, because uh, of Feud. Because of Feud and because they just had an Adrian exhibit. And I, I am fascinated by her. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking of doing a book proposal on yeah. her. Im- yeah, I'm thinking of doing a postmortem on image and how like you can do a biography of an image rather than a human person because the image sort of is more and a lot more powerful than a human. Like
0: the iconography? Yeah,
1: that, you know, I always describe her as having, her career as having two acts and an afterlife and um, <laughs> that she was the scrappy working girl through most of her career, like way up into the 50s for like four decades and then she did these sort of ghoulish you know, whatever happened to Baby Jane and Straightjacket um, ghoulish and campy and, and sort of she's not in on the joke and then she died and then Christina took over her image and so now when people see her or think of her which they probably don't that much until Feud they don't think of her they think of Faye Dunaway chewing the scenery yeah. and no wire hangers and so it, it's it's the relationship that Americans have with fame and image and stuff. And, and how
0: does that relate to um, your persona that you created, I, the Lady I? The
1: Lady I actually came, the name itself actually came from a Barbara Stanwyck film called The Lady Eve, and I is my first initial. My my given name is Elise. And I. when you create a stage persona, to me anyway, if you create something like... To me, I've described it as armor. I've described it as a full-body puppet. I've described it as my drag persona. But you create this—you create this person that you want to be or that you see yourself. Like once in a while, you get a picture of yourself, and you're like, "That's me. That's what I look like." You know, because it matches the image you have in your head of like, you know, like my skin is perfect, yeah, and like I look selfie so selfie angled way. Yeah, and I look skinny, and the outfit is great, and the hair is working. You know, like once in a while. Like, but the stage persona is that all the time. You are on full blast because I was so the opposite of that I I was so nervous and and you know the crushingly low self-esteem and I was never quite pretty enough I was never quite thin enough and you know and in the time that I created her I was also still dealing with the panic disorder I had from I was a World Trade Center survivor and that's and I was afraid of everything. Like I was afraid to go get my mail. I was afraid when my doorbell rang. I was afraid when the phone rang. And I was I would have panic attacks in the most random places. I have another friend who all has a, a simil- is similarly afflicted, and he and I compare the weird places we've had <laughs> panic attacks. I'm like I had one during a facial because they covered up my eyes with a steam towel, and I was like oh my god they're gonna get me, and yeah. it was just this nebulous. And he's like I had one during a yoga class. <laughs> So it's funny, but it's also very not funny. I actually learned my sideshow skills from this woman who's now retired from performing, but and is a great Williamsburg, right? Yeah, great visual artist, AV vibes by her art. So I, I created the lady I. I created this persona to be that was everything I was not. Like no matter what happens, she's like, I got this. I'm fine. I'm confident. I think I'm so sexy. I think, I, you know, whatever, the, I can handle any audience. And so I was always fascinated by sideshow. I was always fascinated by weird stuff and campy stuff and kitschy stuff. But to be in the, it was almost more about becoming the performer, like the person who could stand behind the mic. And my, my sort of mantra, my sort of prayer when I was starting out, like in the first couple of years was like, God, just let me hold my own. And because I would, you know, there's some, I've worked with some really fierce performers and some really people who are just most themselves and most alive when they're on stage. And, you know, I've seen people hold an audience talking about nothing. And I was like, God, I want to do that, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? So it, um, to me, it was as as exciting as the learn, it was to learn to eat fire because that was something I had wanted to do my whole life. Um, since I was like 12 and I saw a uh, pendulette do it, becoming the persona or, or developing the persona was almost as exciting and almost as important and almost as fascinating to me, because like when I got up on stage for the first few times, I kind of didn't realize, and it sounds so intuitive, But I kind of didn't realize how much performers are entertained by the audience, like just watching the audience, like I kind of didn't realize that was a thing. Like, you know, you are seeing them and I, you know, intuitively know they can see me. But I kind of didn't realize what it was to watch an audience and to like make an audience laugh and um, make an audience, you know, how you could hold them. And so it's, uh, that was amazing.
0: So oh, yeah. how, how, I mean, how is it coming from a family of doctors, right? <laughs> <laughs> then uh, telling them, I just can't imagine you saying, I, uh, I yeah, want to be every, a
1: sideshow performer. Uh, yeah, I, every Jewish mother's dream. Like doctor, mom. Yeah, doctor, doctor, mom. Yeah, my mother is a PhD. My father is an MD. My brother is an MD. My uncle's were PhDs. Like... I introduced someone to my family recently, and it was like, Dr. Carter, Dr. Carter, Dr. Carter. (laughs) Lady Eye, the lady Eye, Me. You know, it was an interesting transformation for them, because I didn't tell them the first six months I was performing. Uh, I kept it a secret. I'm close with my parents. You know, my parents live in in my neighborhood. I see them all the time. You grew up in the city, right? I grew up in Manhattan, Mm -hmm. yeah. I am a Lennox Hillbilly. I live like three (laughs) blocks from where I was born. Which is tremendously funny for, like, ten blocks. <laughs> that joke. That joke is not funny outside of the Upper East Side. But, yeah, and I grew up in... I'm a, I'm a third-generation New Yorker, and everybody else, like, just got off the boat here and was like, no, this is fine, we'll stay. My parents are from the Bronx. And, yeah, worked very hard. My parents are very intellectual. Um, they are very scientists, but very science-y. Um, my father was and mechanical engineer and then got bored with it and so he became an orthopedist yeah and, okay so that's what we're dealing with yeah okay. and like my brother was had a degree like my brother was studying Gabriel Garcia Marquez in college and then my and and semiotics and then they're like well now what are you going to do with the, for a living he's like oh, i'm going to go to med school and he did. He actually did. He actually did it, yeah. Oh. So, my brother understands both Michel Foucault and medicine, which is something else, because yeah. I, I got neither. Yeah. I got neither. You know, my mother has, I think, four degrees, like four or five degrees among them. So, everybody is a cr- crazy overachiever. I had never trained as a performer. I was not, really, I was not an actor. I was not, you know, all of my film, almost all of my film was theoretical. And I did go to grad school for production, and I did work for a number of directors. I worked on Todd Haynes' film Poisoned. I worked on the Ron Howard film Ransom and a bunch of other things, but I had never you know, it wasn't like oh, I do open mic nights, or I just never done. I went from doing nothing <laughs> to like and just announcing. Yeah, to, <laughs> like and of course my they have that very natural parent fear. Like, are you going to hurt yourself? Right, as a like, doctor, I can't, I can't imagine your dad. Yeah, being well, it was okay, more okay my, with my it. mom because like one of my first acts was eating light bulbs. And the long debates we would have about, like, direticulitis and, like, all the things you could get from eating light bulbs. And I actually did give it up. It's A, it was just never a great act for me. It just wasn't that interesting. Like, Todd Robbins does it. It's brilliant. It's really, you know, audiences are enraptured. And I just never hit that groove. And it's so bad for your teeth. And I didn't have dental insurance. So, so you're really chewing the the glass. Yeah, you really chew it up and swallow it. I don't think it's dangerous. Like, I've done it dozens of times, but it is highly unpleasant. You know, it's it's not something I recommend people eating at all. So I did give that act up just because I was like, I can't stand to hear about it anymore. And I did burn myself once on stage fire breathing, um, which is par for the course. Like, there's one writer who's like, oh, there are only two kinds of fire breathing. Fire eaters, those who have burned themselves and those who will burn themselves. And I, <laughs> you have your literal baptism by fire. And because you, you showed up at your day job. I showed up with my, a charred face. Right? Yeah. I looked like the Phantom of the Opera. I had like one hat, like all bandaged up and it, it really hurt my ego more than my, I hurt my skin. But so your it, parents weren't like, we told you. Like, <laughs> I think there was a moment there. And I think that was within the first year that I was performing. So that wasn't that was a turning point because it was like you are you could you could go either way you could be like you are not cut out for this pack it in you know like look you you had your fun pack it in and do something else or you're like okay I got knocked down do I get up again and I think that getting up again was one of the the things that has been best for me about becoming a performer is that. There's a lot... I mean, there's a lot of getting... Life is a lot of getting knocked down. And and that getting up again is very difficult. Like, I am not minimizing that. Um, you know, I've been through depression. I've been through anxiety. And I think one of the things about creating this bulletproof persona is it's porous. Like, I am not the lady I when I get off stage. Because that would be... I do know people who are there Staying stage all per- the time. time right? And it's unbearable it, yeah, to me. It's They don't really take to humans and it's like but I get the temptation like right. I get the temptation because if you're like you could be 10 foot tall and bulletproof and yeah. charming as hell 24 hours a day people are like oh yeah I, I opt in for that but it's like you know you're like well do you want to be at least with toilet paper on her shoe like <laughs> no no I don't not at all but plastic like,
0: surgery of the persona yeah
1: and so <laughs> but you have to be you have to settle in with who you are off stage and I think It does filter back in that, like, my self-esteem is better. I get over stuff much quicker. I get over rejection much quicker. I'm like, okay, on to the next. But I... That's good. That's great. It's great. I I don't recommend it as a form of therapy. (laughs) But it does work for... It did work for me. Yeah, it Um, sounds like. I mean, suffering
0: from panic disorder and bulimia and everything that you have suffered from. Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, which is not to say I'm cured of it, but it also... Yeah, and I think just trying on this personality, and I just it's it's drag, you know. It's it's mm-hmm. being a, you know, I I describe myself as a devout rudist, which is like I worship Paul, and like a lot of the stuff that he says about letting things go, and and you know who you are when you put that face on and, and stuff. I'm like that is very true. It's very true, and 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 it's. It, they're like Zen cones. They really are. That some of that stuff. I'm trying to think of. Some, and right as soon as I said it, like, it all fell out of my head. All I can think of is pay those bitches no mind. But that, which is not necessarily the most positive. <laughs> <laughs> or like I try and come from a place of love, but sometimes I have to break it down for a bitch. But not that for, for for some reason the positive ones are not coming to me at this moment. But yeah, it is very helpful, and you can see like I even now when I'm reading, like I'm reading this book about Betty Davis and Joan Crawford right now and um, I'm like, they're crazy. They're crazy, crazy people. They really were and I have no doubt of that but like you can see why people sink that craziness into their performing and into their profession because it gives you a place to put it. The problem becomes if you can't come out of it and you can't balance it out. To me, it's like, yeah, if you do keep that, like I am a movie star diva all the time that's not okay but if it helps you and it brings out you know your best um, you have to be okay with being off stage too so I think that well,
0: I love it. the way you approach the dark arts yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the dark arts but um you know how you historically study um the study the historical aspect of performing yeah. and, 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 and that you were called the Dorothy Parker of the sideshow I of, called me the Dorothy <laughs> Parker of the <laughs> Well we're gonna just yeah. mythologize you right I know. now. The, yeah, the I shouldn't say that. Yeah. Yeah. Legend. Legend. Yes. Park
1: Carnival Barker, part yeah. Dorothy Parker. Yeah, I mean it was funny because uh, you know, what is it the be the change you want to see in the world? And I wasn't seeing I love sideshow. I mean, I I love a lot of different performers and I, every year I go to the Southern sideshow, Hootenanny nanny plug, plug, plug in New Orleans. And I, you know, it was funny because by the end of the weekend, we were all laughing about it. And I've been in shows where it's just, I'm like, next year I'm going to give the golden nail award to like the best blockhead. And it's like, once you've seen blockhead, you've seen it. It's, and then it becomes about like making it your own. And it, whether that's drill, you know, blockhead is the ability to hammer nails into your nose and like, it's a nail, you know, and then you see people do. I do forks and spoons, and, and you keep it very lady. Right? Yeah, and that was the thing. I love like, when you mom, say I'm a lady because I'm, I'm a, lady. a lady. Yeah, because yeah. how classy is it to stick shove forks and spoons out your nose? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it was just like I was seeing. Mostly, it was dudes, and I was seeing shock value, shock value, shock value, and that's good and it's exciting performance, and it is the tradition of sideshow. But I was like, well, could someone make it? could someone make it witty and and cocktail attire and glamorous? And it's not, I mean, it's not glamorous, but it still works on the shock value of sticking stuff up your nose. But that was, might be the change you want to see in the world. Like I was seeing dudes do sideshow in this way that was very like, you know, tattooed, pierced, like I'm crazy. I'm painproof way. And I was seeing, women largely follow suit and I was like well what if you took it in the other direction what if you because I was working with burlesque performers I'm like well I want to wear fancy dresses too like red lipstick yeah yeah I want rhinestones yeah I did and I have no tattoos and I didn't want to you know like I and it was also sideshow as a performance art thrives on the superlative like the longest sword the biggest you know the the most fiery whatever And you're one of the only the women who does swallow swords, correct? Uh, they're getting to be more and more, but yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, there's still not a lot. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's still in every aspect of it, it's still a very male-dominated field. And I think a lot of when you work in a male-dominated field, and I see this in comedy, like I, comedy never appealed to me because I think it's often when a field is so dominated by men, and I've seen this in rock and roll, and I've seen this in comedy women follow suit or outdo men in a show of strength. So you become Wendy O. Williams, you become, uh, what's her name? Amy Schumer, you know, Mm -hmm. like you become the most foul mouth, the most raw, honest, oversharer. Yeah. Because you're just like, I'm fearless too. And so there's just, it's a way of throwing down with the boys.
0: Mm -hmm. Have you
1: ever tried Santa? You're you're hilarious. Oh, thank you. I have done just emceeing, and I did that recently. And to me, I was like, "That's very brave." Um, uh, No, (laughs) no, stand up is actually very is very scary. And you know, I'm like, "Oh, bed of nails, fine, but stand up is scary." And it is. It is a very scary. I I have been worked with some great stand up comics. I have been mentored by some great um, stand up comics. I've had dinner a couple of times with Elaine Boozler and and talked to her extensively. And she is the living end and, and a pioneer and a great lady and, and saving all the animals. She, <laughs> she has a dog rescue. But just to stand up there, with, for me, with no props, and even, you know, funny, one of the first things that occurred to me when I started performing, I don't know what to do with my hands. So having the microphone helped, having a sword there, having a torch there, having something in my hands was literally very comforting. You know, I probably should. That probably should be my next thing. But it is. It. it, I genuinely huge, huge respect for a lot of the people who do it because it is. I used to. um, My first job in New York was booking comedians. Yeah. And on
0: my roster was Liz Winstead, Laura Kaitlinger, Margaret Smith, Yeah. um, Brett Butler. Yeah. And they, you're you're naked up there, and they. I mean the, people are three drinks in. By the time the headliner comes on, and yeah. it it would get brutal. Oh them. yeah, I mean they they, it, you know they learned to hold their own. They held their own most certainly, but yeah. it was definitely a different dynamic for a woman up there than it was for a man. Which I'm sure in, in in sideshow performing, that's what you're saying. It's the kind of the same. There aren't a lot of women, and it's
1: hard to kind of find your way. Yeah, I mean it also depends on the context. Um, you know it's interesting. I I was in New Orleans this month at that sideshow festival, and every year I go there and I meet with um, a sideshow performer ma- magician, just absolute legend in the field. Like he's a performer's performer, um, AJ, and who spells it A Y E J A Y E. And so I call him I call him other father, and I call you know like or <laughs> yeah. I J, and uh, and he is a wonderful guy and, and just a very warm loving uh crazy great bastard of a guy i just love him we were talking and he's like you know do you ever get harassed And i was like oh certainly because i'm a female sword swallower, there's only ever one joke and part of it was just the stage per- that bulletproof stage persona of like cutting people off at the pass of mm-hmm. um, part of my spiel has been there is only one joke if you have something fresh i will buy you a drink And I am told him I have only ever paid that out once, and it was to a woman. It was, I was like, there are three gag reflexes, yada yada yada, and she goes, "Oh, sister, don't I know it?" And I was like, (laughs) that is the one time in a decade of swallowing swords (laughs) that I have ever paid out that drink because the joke is always the same, and a lot of it, it's showbiz. A lot of it boils down to your looks and the way you present yourself, and I have been. One of the worst shows I ever did was I did at a venue in Brooklyn, and it was it was a, a big fancy venue, and it was I don't know why, but it was brotastic. It was, the whole Ugh. venue reeked of Axe body spray, and they were so mean. They were so mean, and one guy, I was standing in front of the stage trying to announce a show, like trying to bring on the other performers. And one guy is yelling, you're fat. And one guy is yelling, show us your tits. And I'm like, you guys have got... I am working here, so you guys have got to go in the alley and work it out amongst yourselves, like, which one it is, because... I'm working Uh, here. And that was it in a nutshell. And sometimes you don't get it overtly. uh, But sometimes... Yeah, as a woman, it's... I, I have taken crap that men have not taken. You know, I have asked... I've had bookers ask me if I work topless, you know, and I'm like, I don't. But you wouldn't ask a dude that. Right. But you ask, you feel free to ask me that. There's no shame in it. If you do, if that's your act, rock on. But it really uh, comes, you have to, one of the things I had to learn was I have to be okay with that. Or I have to be as okay as be. And possibly that's where your big. persona comes
0: in, right? Yeah. yeah.
1: And but there, you know, it's not that I don't still like. Oh, if I was a bikini model, you know, I'd yeah. be so much further in my career. But you know, like because I have seen, I've seen performers of all stripes. Like you've gotten really far because you're super cute, you know, yeah. and maybe not that talented. But that's what you sign up for, and I, you know, and I battle back with like. But I am very funny, and I hold my own with an audience, and um. Or, you know, you just have to, like, have that faith in your performing. And that's very hard. It's, it's, I don't mean to suggest by any of this that, I'm like, I am completely cured and I feel great about myself Mm -hmm. all the time. Because I don't. Yeah, so much of it is about, like, how do I, like, what do I have, what am I bringing to the party? And it may not be, you know, I'm... I am not as young as I used to be, not that I, you know, I'm a, a decrepit old crone, but I'm, you know, like, I am not a hideous person, but I'm not, you know, I am not a model. And, you know, it, a lot of that, you know, a lot about getting on stage, I was talking about this recently, I grew up, well, growing up, one of my best friend's mothers was this wonderful woman. Um, she was from Queens, and she had. I, she reminded us of Linda Richman from Saturday Night Live, Like, talk about coffee. Coffee talk. talk. Yeah, coffee talk, except it'd be a Chanel sweater. <laughs> and she used to describe... Um, you to ask her, like, oh, what do I wear? Is it formal? You know, she'd have dinners. And she'd go, however you love yourself. And that is one of my favorite expressions in the entire <laughs> world. However you love yourself. So. Yeah, and I've shared that. And I will, like, she was a brave woman. She batted, battled breast cancer for... 25 years before it took her, and um, that I think that she left me a lot, but that sentence was is is a true inheritance because I've shared it with people all over, and I and when I put on I have this green dress and like when I put it on I am the lady I and I think I look like Sophia Loren and I and I you know and I'm like I don't know sometimes I catch myself in the mirror and like I'm like maybe I look like a bag of yogurt I don't know but like when i put on the dress and i put on the heels and i do my hair and i put on the lashes and i put on the a pound of makeup and i'm like i love myself you know like, this is however this dress and this look is however i love myself and and i told someone that story or years ago i told someone that expression like my friend's mom used to say because she was my friend jolie is six foot two and, and She's at a certain point in her life, she's like, screw it, I'm wearing high heels. Who am I fooling? You know, like, mm-hmm. I'm not, if I put on high heels, like, I'm not dainty. If I, yeah. I'm still going to be a six foot two Amazon goddess, Southern Belle. And we were driving down the road a couple hours after I had mentioned that expression, and she turned to me, and she's um, from Missouri and Florida, and she just goes, I want to meet her in heaven. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I don't particularly believe in the afterlife, but God, I hope you do, you know? Yeah. I really hope that's a thing, yeah, I guess that's sort of what it all boils down to is so you
0: know, so yeah. just to go back and starting yeah. out, yeah, um first of all, did you know you could make a living at doing these things that Penn Gillette kind of <laughs> sparked in you as a woman or as a person
1: making no. a living at it, and when you still don't make a living at it. I, I mean, I still have a day job, right, you know, day okay. jobs, plural. I didn't know it was an option. And then
0: learning from this woman in Williamsburg, learning about the three reflexes, and maybe I can go through that. that And and how how did you get hurt at first? Swallow, swallow the swords?
1: I got a a throat infection at one point. Um, I still have my tonsils. I not only still have my tonsils, they're all messed up. They always have been. So I got some really gnarly throat infections, um, but when you went to yeah. her place for the first time, and she for the eating. first time you yeah. swallowed a sword. She didn't. Were you shitting sh- yourself? Oh my god! Yeah. You? Oh yeah. Because All you say it.
0: like if this was fake, Chris Angel would do it.
1: Yeah, and- I actually learned those skills from two different people. It's and, real? Yeah. And um, with the fire eating, I remember I had one lesson, and I did it the first couple of times. You do it a little bit, and then we went out for Thai food, and I was like, it's still spicy, and, I, and it was, they're totally to- to- Oh, toodle, Two totally different things. But I just remember, like, uh, I was temping at Victoria's Secret uh, in the offices. And the next day, and I was just, like, walking around. And there are all these basic bi- bitches who work in the office. Like, everyone is a size zero and, um, you know, fabulous and in high heels. and And I didn't know anybody in the office because I was the temp. But I was sitting there at my desk thinking... Guess what I did, you know? <laughs> Guess what Not I did. the secret, yeah. It's power. Yeah, no, it's incredibly powerful. Yeah. And then the next time I, you know, once I started learning, I remember I was standing over her sink with the torch and thinking, oh, I should run water and put it out. And then I, but your, my brain was like, you know how to do that? You don't need water to put out a fire. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> you know, like just realizing you know something. Um, yeah, swallowing swords was really scary because a lot of the training I did, I live alone. And so I did alone in my apartment because part of it is just desensitizing. And one day I really thought I jabbed myself, I like punctured my esophagus and I was wearing pajamas. And I'm like, I'm going to have to put on underwear and go down to the, go down to Lenox Hill Hospital and explain to the ER intake, like why... You know, like, that I just punctured my esophagus. Just another Lennox wha- hillbilly swallowing swords. swords, yeah. And, and then, is that how you learned how to get out of a straitjacket? Going I, to the hospital? No. But it actually did come up once. I had surgery a few years ago, and they gave me morphine, and the morphine gave me delirium, and so they would put me in restraints. And I was lying in the restraints, and I was like, oh, I know how to get out of these. You need slack. And it didn't work because I was dope to the gills, but I just, I was... I knew how to extubate myself I was on a ventilator and that all occurred to me like wow. while I'm lying in a hospital bed you were on a ventilator yeah yeah you're
0: super you're superhuman.
1: super resilient Yeah. Uh, well and super relevant. I yeah I had 23 blood transfusions that was in a couple of day in a day or two actually and I was I was like oh do I get radioactive spider blood you know yeah. like anything more no. powers no I was just really <laughs> sick for a long time oh, it obviously. is not fun yeah, I mean, I talk about the getting up again. Like, I had to go stay with my parents because I was so anemic, because it was not my blood, um, that I couldn't stay awake for more than a couple hours at a time. And I remember my mom went out to work one day, and I got up and I, like, snuck my sword out. <laughs> I swallowed a sword, and I was like... I have to go back to it. I have to. You had back. to swallow that to feel powerful or. or yeah. And I didn't, you know, strong. I didn't. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't want to lose that. Like I had fought for, so hard for that, that I didn't want to lose it. You're and, like
0: one of those teens that, you know, sneak a cigarette in the bathroom. You have, yeah. Like, I
1: have to get this sword down my throat. While yeah. My mom's out. Yeah, I know. And I was just because, and so I, I performed within a month of being out of the ER at Ripley's. Wow! Yeah, because it was just like I fought for this so hard. I I am not letting go of it. It was it was a spite thing.
0: So so when you were first learning, you yeah. you did get hurt a few times, but you um, yeah. Never
1: the emergency, never an gone. emergency knock <laughs> wood because you know I have a health. I think you have to live in a healthy fear of it. I um not fear. I think you have to have a healthy respect for what you do is real and people do get injured and. Like I said, I'm not a huge risk taker. I think often people get injured cuz they're doing crazy, you know, they're like I got to push it a little but further. But a sword is Yes, yeah, that's taking. enough. For me that's yeah. enough. I have a well, solid 6 to 10 minute yeah. bit and I'm and it's solid and the audience is like it and it's it's gotten me pretty far. So I don't need to like up the ante. S- yeah, <laughs> swallow a chainsaw. You know, like I don't need to do it. I I don't need more. Mm-hmm. You know, more is just more sometimes. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just
0: thing. can't imagine the first time you're in that woman's apartment. And What is her name again? I'm sorry. Uh,
1: Alia or A.V. V fives. A.V. V fives. Yeah. Um, um,
0: just doing it for the first time, I would be so neurotic about every little pain that I was feeling or well, sensation for... in my body that I would oh, just yeah. freak myself
1: out and kill myself probably. It's really, it's an interesting neurological um phenomenon because you have a you know like the back of your brain it's very lizardy and primitive and all of your instincts are like don't put fire like everything you've ever learned in your life is like don't put bring fire near your face near your eyes um and that is so incredibly primitive that you're i really wanted it like i really wanted it i you know i wanted it since like this is my thing yeah and so i brought my arm toward my face and my arm was like nope we're out of here so no matter how bad you want it, it was just I was like I watched my arm just like phantom limb like just head out. It was just, it was just like no we're out of here, and it was a weird disconnect between your brain and your body. It really was wow. you almost you it just goes. It's really strange. I'm mean, so, talking about having to overcome something. Yeah, having that primal. Yeah, because all of your things and all of your training, like from the time you're a baby, your parent you're like don't touch yeah. the stove, don't. You know, don't play with matches, be, get your hands out of that candle. And I wasn't particularly a pyromaniac or anything. It's I, And I know some people who are more suited toward it, who really love fire, really love the control of it. And I like it, but I, you know, every time I pick up a torch, I'm like, that is hotter than I remember it. And it can be like two shows in a row. And because your brain is just like, this is how we're walking through this or mine. I don't know. I can't speak to other people's, how other people's brains are functioning. So now did, did, you know, swallowing a sword, yeah,
0: eating fire. Yeah. Pounding nails up your nose. Did that in any way? I mean, with the bulimia and the panic disorder, did you say, well, this is a tangible thing and I'm very, my, 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 there's a fear in my brain and a primal fear yeah. and I can overcome it. And I can it. overcome it. Um, yeah.
1: I mean, especially with the sword swallowing because I didn't start training, um, for months after I had met with a, a performer and, um, and part of that was just, who did you do your
0: apprenticeship with? Uh, some? I
1: did partly with CM Christ and then I also got some training, um, from actually a guy who, uh, uh, was just injured last week. Not sword swallowing. You mm-hmm. fell on ice. Johnny Fox. But I went and they're like, well, we'll tell you how it's done. And I actually don't recommend this training to other people. I recommend it, it, I trained in a very foolish, foolhardy way, which is I picked up the training from someone who would teach me and then I went home and I studied. And I don't recommend that at all. Like, that is the this last thing. This is not something you ed- can go home and YouTube and. Oh, don't YouTube. <laughs> yeah. You really need someone because it, it's like yoga in a way like you really need someone standing there watching your body and what you're doing and how you're doing it and um, so I do not recommend anyone ever 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 train the way I do and I warn younger people off it all the time and I mean maybe that makes me a hypocrite but I'm also like trust me like I lucked out this is a profoundly stupid thing to do but I had the training and then it took me six months because I That idea of sticking something in the back of my throat was a very familiar fear. And it was very, yeah, it was that fear of like, because to be very honest about bulimia, sometimes the vomiting is very, um, it releases endorphins and it can be very relaxing in a perverse way, in a very unhealthy way. And it makes you feel like you have a certain amount of control over your body. So, again, do not recommend this as a form of therapy at all, ever, for anyone except me. It was a way of reversing that. It was a way of saying, you do have control, but in a positive, non-self-destructive way. And um, a lot of things were converging in my life at that point. I, uh, I had worked for a year before I started learning swords because... Learning swords while in and of it, the act, the literal act of it is, I, it's hard to understand, but it's nothing. It's, I, I have explained this to other performers and you know Shakespeare, like "twist mine, to his, does nothing." It really is. the The physical act of it is nothing if you can't build an act around it. If you can't hold an audience, so I had studied for about a year at least, learning just to. Work the mic and hold attention and be confident on stage and sell you know sell whatever I was selling, and I took literally I took this job because I knew it would be awful and I was like oh if I can handle this room I can handle anything and I was an MC at um, Lucky Chang's the drag bar where I was a biological female during a burlesque show in this palace that catered this this bachelorette party bridge and tunnel. Yes, and it in the basement. I shared a dressing room with Laverne Cox, though. Wow. Um, yeah, and she's a, she's amazing. She was she is one of the most attractive humans I've ever seen. But I was it was such a bad room, and they hated me so much. They hated everything. I mean, I wasn't a drag queen. I wasn't there like, uh, you know, and I wasn't a naked girl. So it was right. Just, I was thinking. so useless to this audience. I figure you out so and i'm before a new wave dance party so it was it was also like it was like 12 year old kids they're like look i'm dressed up It's robert smith (laughs) (laughs) it's cosplay for them cosplay i'm cosplaying robert smith the cure oh my god is there a cure con and there should be. There really should be. What year was this? Oh, this was 2005. Oh, yeah. 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 So I'm like, oh, God. So <laughs> It was the most thankless Friday night that anyone has ever done. It was really bad. Why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> because I was like, you know what, if I can handle this room, there is nothing like there is nothing that can come at me. And it's true. There are nights where I'm like, well, at least I'm not at Lucky James. <laughs> yeah. Look on the bright side. Yeah. And God bless them because drag queens work hard for your money. But they but people had gone there to see them and not to see bio Biological females, or at least not unstripping biological females. Like I can females. see this every day. Why do I? Need yeah. That? yeah, yeah. Like you are not I like. I don't want your sassiness. I want right. her sassiness. Right. <laughs> I like, like your wit. That is your <laughs> hair, and I am not interested. So, but so I was doing that, and so I was beginning really beginning to feel myself as a performer, um, almost too much. Actually, too much because I was. You're getting like Rocky
0: going in the meat. Going in the meat cellar. And yeah, meat yeah. And putting yeah. Oh, yourself in such, there.
1: Yeah, and it, it, oh God, it was so bad. So, you know, I was, it was, uh, things were coming together and I was in recovery for my eating disorder and, and I was just overall getting healthier and moving things along. So it was a convergence of these things. Um, and yeah, it was this weird, bizarro healing of the... Bulimia instinct of that purging instinct. So again, do not do not try this at home. I don't recommend I this don't for anything. Know anybody. And I e- <laughs> would. Yeah, I get emails yeah. once in a while. Um, would you train me? And I have never trained. Anyone. You, you wouldn't train. You wouldn't no. consider it. Well, also to me, like you have to have the respect for it for what it is, and it's a performative art, and it's um, which is why yeah. we really
0: love what you do, Thank because you, so you have the knowledge of the history of yeah. the sideshow, and what this all means, and you're not just going out there, you know, looking like Kat Von D, and swallowing a sword, and yeah. making it sexy, you know, you do make it sexy, yeah. but I'm saying, Thank it's you. not, there's, there's a lot more to it
1: with you. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's popular to say you're a nerd these days, but like, I'm nerdy, I'm nerdy about things, I love history, I love you know, where does this come from and what did it what is its context and what does it mean and why is this crazy and Yeah, so I get very interested. Like Morbid Anatomy gave me an opportunity to present on on female sword swallowers and you had asked me earlier, like, what who one of my favorites was and I what your um, Strange Lady throwback? Yeah, my strange lady throwback. Actually I have two. Okay. One is um, Mademoiselle Edith Clifford, and I love her I, I am sorry I can't go back in time and see her. I would have loved to have seen her act. Because Houdini was a fan of hers. And I can't imagine like how powerful a performer you had to have been to have your fan club include Houdini. He to was, captivate Houdini. He was very specific. He, he wrote about in one of his books how much he respected her. And like she was always turned out on stage. She always looked great. And uh, actually the guy who's the head of the Swords Swallowers Association International ended up with her swords and she had, you know, quite a... She had one like I was trying to figure out just physically how it worked because she was swallowing three swords at a time. Wow. And, uh, you know, she, like She did crazy Jeez. stuff and like she... They would like put a bayonet and a cannon and just fire the cannon down her throat. I mean, that's crazy. And once in a while, I see something where I'm like, yeah, you're shaking your head. And I'm like, nope, no. nope, nope. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. No. Um, yeah, and I think the more you know how something works, the more like when you're like, no, no, no. There's one guy these one guy these days who does the reverse sword swallow, which I don't trust anyone on earth. I don't trust anyone I've ever dated. I don't trust anyone in my family. I don't trust any human on earth enough to do this. And he does it all day long in New Orleans on the street, which is he will let a volunteer hold the sword out straight and he walks onto it. Now, I do the opposite, but I have way more control. And I have have never... I have yet to... So you let people pull it out? Out. He lets people basically put it in. Uh And uh, Eric Ogilvie, like mad respect to him. And also just being a street performer is in New Orleans is not nothing. Um, Mm -hmm. Nice guy. I met with him when I was there a couple times. But... Um, yeah, once in a while when I see someone like putting a new twist on it, I'm like, okay, that's bananas. I would, nope, nope, nope. Um, you know, and there's stuff like, oh, okay, I can see myself doing that. I can see myself doing, you know, learning that or upping this a little bit. But once in a while I see something and I'm like, no, never, yeah. you know, just, you know, I was like, he has a more, fun, he is more trusting of human beings than I have ever been. So who's the other? uh, Oh, well, Edith Edith Clifford. Oh, the other throwback is Esteline Pike. One, I just love her name, Esteline Pike. Um, And she is a very interesting woman. She is. um, uh, Diane Arbus shot two different sword female sword swallowers, and one is um, Sandy Reed, who was the albino sword swallower. She was one of the few natural born freak sword swallowers, and everybody knows that. If you know Diane Arbus, you know that yeah. picture. She's standing in front of a tent with a white peasant blouse on. Um, but Esteline Pike worked in Times Square, and actually I do know one person who had seen her live and that was Elaine Busler, Who And what year was she working? She worked up until the early 70s. Okay. And she learned from her husband who had an act um, who was uh, Lucky Ball was his name. And yeah, it's a great name. And uh, where have I heard that before they had a son and their son was the youngest male sword and the and lived long, has lived long enough he's still with us to be the world's oldest male swords What? Wow. but she was great and I actually she and I had similar taste in dresses because there are a couple of our Diane Arvis t- photos of her and I'm like I have almost the exact same dress, that, a vintage dress that I bought years ago it um, could be hers it could be. I perform. I hope. I hope it is. That would be amazing, wouldn't yeah. it? I performed in it at a Coney Island once. I got to get skinny enough to get back into it. But um, she, she, you know, she raised. She was married to a sword swallower. Uh, she raised a sword swallower. She was a sword swallower, and she worked what they call a grind show, which is in Times Square. She worked at Hubert's Museum or Hubert. Uh, on Forty Second Street, and you know, just which is famous for its for a lot of reasons, you know, mainly because it's it's captured in a lot of Arbus's photos and a number of books, and it's on the cover of uh, the Rolling Stones. I think it's Exile on Main Street. There are all these pictures. That's Hubert's, and and she just sounded like she was just a very salty broad, and and I love that, and um, yeah, and just because I. I describe myself as a performer like I'm not even a cat person but I'm always like I'm an indoor cat because I'm a nightclub performer and I do like two shows a night and I'm exhausted and the ability to do eight shows a day a dozen shows a day I can't
0: imagine it's
1: exhausting and it's physically it's literally physically taxing and you know your body will get used to it but it also rebels at some point and um, so you know and and sword swallowers do get um, they get gastric you know the gastric reflux because the 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 gag reflexes wear out and um you know you can get serious problems with it uh you get workman's comp (laughs) you don't get anything (laughs) like you you're looking to get paid (laughs) but it you know uh melvin burkhardt the original human blockhead used to describe it as a hard way to make an easy living and that is exactly what it is that no true words were never spoken you know, because it is very physical. And um, it's interesting because the way those performers work is very different. I watched uh, this uh, the other just legendary performer in New Orleans. I keep going back there, but it's, you know, I go every year and it's very important to me. Red Stewart work recently and I've seen him perform a number of times. And, you know, he's crazy. You can swallow a, a car axle and all these swords. And he does it 8, 9, 10, 12 Times a day on a good day when the, it, they're really grinding through the shows. And he gave, he did one show that night. He did one show all day, which is highly unusual for, for such a veteran performer. And we described, we were like, wow, that is the most energetic we had ever seen Red give his delivery. And it's not bad, it's just he's, you know, he's just got a quiet voice or a, uh, he goes through his things very efficiently. And he was really feeling his rock star that night, and it was it was a joy to see. And and uh, we were talking about it the next day, and I'm like, well, yeah, usually he's in energy saver mode, but he didn't because if you have to do it twelve times a day, you cannot put on a Broadway show. A dozen times a day, you just physically can't do it. So you and mentally taxing.
0: I mean, no, to I, give
1: that much. I am I I fully cop to the fact that I am a nightclub performer. I to do i've done three or four shows a day and i'm like oh my god i need all the naps ever now um and i have a tremendous respect for people who can just do the grind you know do do those 10 shows um it's it's really physically taxing it's not nothing it's uh fire eaters are exposed to to the chemistry and it does um often your mouth does not burn but i find like a <laughs> You know, it's not the same as the burn. Yeah. You know, there are some am where I'm afterwards I'm like, I can't quite taste what I'm eating with the same. Well, even when you yeah. were in the
0: house here doing the yeah. New York Times piece, I the smell of the is it yeah. gas. Yeah. Yeah, it's white. It's white gas. It's, yeah. uh, it's what you use in camping stoves. With something that when you inhale it, it kind of it stays with pleasant. you. Yeah, thank yeah, you for letting me come
1: into your home. Oh like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was walking in this morning, and I'm like, oh, I'm dripping water every. I, like, I come into your home and bring. I come in and bring disaster. Like, but then you, yeah, you, you were doing a piece on, yeah, on a new yeah. license. I need it's to bring in, Yeah, I need to bring fire eaters. Earth and wind. I think is the, all I have not dragged into your living room. <laughs> Because like, I've had fire and water now. Because it's raining out today. Something so. to look forward to. Yeah. So I I will not drag mud or <laughs> across your nice floors. So.
0: But um, um do sorry. you have a strange story that we can end oh, with, God. or anything str- the strangest thing that's happened to you and while you're performing, or who you perform
1: for? Oh, you know what? Can I? I love this story. And and like so, because we share this rock and roll background. I don't know why. I lo- like. Sometimes I perform. I love where I am performing. Like to be there are certain places where I'm just like, oh, this place is legendary, and I, I that turns me on for some reason. Like that I get a lot of energy for that. And a few years ago, I was asked to do a benefit for the residents of the Chelsea Hotel, and I was like, I'm very like yes, keep New York weird. Yeah. Yes, oh, yeah. that has got to be a thing. We don't need more friggin' condos. We need a place for artists to come and and art. And so I was happy to do it, and I showed up, and it was in somebody's suite. It was it was in the suite of apartments, and I was just like. This is a legendary building, you know, William S. Burroughs and Robert Maplethorpe and, you know, all these musicians who'd been through and poets and artists and, um, you know, the factory girls. And you think about, like, the history of the Sid Nancy. Sid- <laughs> well, that was the thing. And I got to work, uh, you know, and there were these great performers there that night. So I'm really like, oh, i got to, you know, pull it out. I really want to just um, bring it. <laughs> I pulled out my sword, and I was like, ladies and gentlemen, I am here to make a, the biggest splash with a blade since Sid Nancy checked out. And the room was like, oh. and I was like, too soon? It's been like 35 years. And I got the biggest laugh. It was so satisfying to me. The one big laugh. Like, it really was just like a belly laugh from Matt Frazier, who was at the back of the room from American Horror Story. Was a wonderful actor, performer, singer, dancer everything it's ridiculous he's insanely talented nice guy but i was just and he he actually had been a punk drummer before he i was gonna say he's a great drummer he's a great drummer he'd been a drummer before a touring drummer before he'd been a sideshow artist and there there was something about that moment that was just i was like all of my life has been leading to this (laughs) It just, it just felt like it's here now yeah I was like oh high school guidance counselor
0: <laughs> I have arrived yeah like what happened is not an option
1: on the SAT I made it yeah. you said I never amount to anything and look at me so that was a pretty awesome moment I gotta say if people want to follow you they can find I, you on Twitter is the lady eye and on Instagram is the lady I. and it's A Y E yeah the lady I. that's great
0: thank yeah. you um, so much for thank talking you. to us today thank you. <laughs>